Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Welcome back to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. I'm so excited to be back, and today's guest is Robert Anderson. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about himself. We actually met on Clubhouse. I was so excited to meet him because, oh my goodness, he is such an amazing leader, and he's going to talk about leadership and personal development and all those things today. So before we talk about all the important topics, Robert, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it and grateful to have the opportunity to be here. I am Robert Anderson. I am a father of four, uh, married for 15 years, spent 15 years in education, and recently launched my new book and shifted our firm um, to become a diversity, equity, and inclusion space where we're fully for the last 15 years all in on creating educational leaders and educational leaders as we define them are empathetic, self-aware, and curious. And we're on a mission to impact 100,000 teachers around the world uh, within the next five years. Love that. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And this conversation is so important, so needed. And so I love that we're going to talk about some things today. And I I mean, more than things, but we're going to talk about some important topics. But the first thing I want to talk about is personal development. So this is something that, you know, when I'm thinking about that phrase, personal development, it has a lot of different meanings, you know, depending on who you're talking to or what you do for your job or whatever, you know. And so I want to know what is personal development and what does this look like for teachers that you work with? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's a good way to start. So typically the phrase in education is PD and PD does not pertain to personal. It it pertains to professional and professional development is the word is the world that our educators are living in. And if you spend uh, time in education, you know that 45 to 50 hours per year dedicated to your professional development. And we spend four years in college and two years to achieve a master's degree. And during that time, and for so many folks, they spend 30 years in education and little to none is dedicated to them personally. And specifically during these times, we are asking our educators to personally pour in to everyone around them, yet our system and the world of professional development does little to none to pour into the people that we ask the most of. Personal development is creating educators that are self-aware. They know who they are. They know where they're going. They know where they're from. They're empathetic. 
They're empathetic to the stories, the people and the folks that are around them. And they're wildly curious, not just about themselves, but they're wildly curious about the life that they can create and the lives that they impact uh, during the course of their career. Mm -hmm. That is so good. Uh, You and I both have books that came out last year. And I want you to talk about your book a little bit, because when you were explaining your book, I think it was on Clubhouse. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's pretty similar to the one I wrote. But for I wrote mine for elementary music teachers. But it was all about what no one told me when I got into the classroom. And a lot of that is exactly what you just said. It was the professional field and what to do with classroom management and how to lesson plan. But I'm like, wait a minute. Nobody told me I would feel exhausted. Nobody told me what would happen when I became a mom. Nobody told me what, you know, like that my kids would have real human being emotions and how to deal with that. And so um, talk about your book and what inspired you to write that and what, uh, yeah, like what are you talk about in that book, in your book, when it comes to personal development? I spent the last 15 years in education and I've always had a burning desire to impact the classroom, impact the students in my classroom. And my coworkers as well, I had a deep-seated desire to do that, but not just on a personal level, but really to impact or to form personal connections, but to impact them personally. How are they taking care of their body nutritionally? What are they doing uh, first thing in the morning to feed their spirits? And I developed a curriculum over the last 15 years, parlaying that with a personal training program. So I had these two worlds that I was living and existing in during my time in the classroom of becoming a personal trainer. And what made me a great personal trainer is not the fact that I can make people bigger, stronger, faster, but I can help them identify their gifts Mm -hmm. and I can shift them into a space where they have the opportunity to give. And I started to speak. And that speaking career locally led to me having the opportunity to speak to pro athletes and pro stages and then travel across the coast and here in the United States and speak to universities. And as I started to reflect during COVID, I was on Zoom calls answering the bell for seniors that were losing their year their Mm -hmm. final year athletically and academically for educators that poured their heart into kids, but knew that their kids were home alone, um, that their kids might be hungry, um, that their kids weren't going to be as engaged. And I was speaking to these groups and really it was me empowering them to stay focused on the task at hand and just shift it. And as I was speaking, I felt this deep desire within me to do more. How can I give more beyond a a Zoom call and the folks that just know my name? And that led me to write a book, uh, The 12 Things They Wanted to Teach You in High School but Couldn't. And I felt as though combining my studies of personal development over uh, 15 plus years, 15 plus years in the classroom, it was the right time during COVID because I was already, I was so immersed mm-hmm. in that topic and it was so needed. And this is it new for any of us, as you're, as you're well aware, the fact that our educators are hurting and they're, and they're down and we need to pay attention. But at the height of COVID, when folks were really hurting, 
I, I really dug in. There was no place for us to go. There was no excuses to be made. And I spent uh, three months writing and then another three, three months editing. And within six months, uh, I feel as though now we have the start of, of uh, a renovation, if you would, uh, on the educational system and shifting the conversation from, per- from professional to personal. Yes. And my book hopefully becomes the cornerstone for that. Oh, I would love that. Yes, I agree completely that, first of all, with seniors, it has broken my heart too, seeing that they lost so much, just like their normal end of the school year stuff that would happen they didn't have. And so, gosh, having you as a mentor to get them through that, I'm sure was so helpful, but it is probably so hard to see your students just over Zoom and not being able to interact with them like you normally would. And so, Oh, just having that desire to help is the first step, I feel. And just, you know, you see the the problem, you see there's a need, and then you did something about it. And so kudos to you. That's huge. And I I love that you said that. It's always usually about professional development, never personal development. Not never, but it's really not addressed much. In fact, I still, you probably do too, all over social media, <clears throat> you know, the, the question's being asked, well, teachers like, well, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then they just kind of skirt past the issue or I need a personal day. They skirt past the issue, you know, and it's just like, it has to be a deeper conversation and it has to be a recognized that these educators are, they're telling the truth. They are overwhelmed, burnout, and they're stressed. And especially after this school year. And so, yeah, I'm not, you know, like you have racked my brain. I'm like, this is something when I work with the teachers I work with is, had all these plans before COVID hit to help them with lesson planning. We're going to talk about classroom management. We're going to talk about all the things. And then it was, I remember every time we'd show up to a Zoom call and I'd be like, they just wanted to talk about what they were going through and what they were feeling. And I'm like, scratch everything I'd planned (laughs) because teachers just need a place to feel validated and that, you know, like I matter as a person, not just as a teacher. And so I don't know, like, where do you see you said you've seen the shift started ha- starting to happen. So how do, how can we address this a little bit more, you know, to help teachers feel like, yeah, you're, you as a person matter as much as a teacher? Yeah. So the first step is finding your allies within your school district. Everyone has that parent that knows everything and knows everyone and knows all the inner workings. And typically that parent is friendly with the board or an adversary to the board, but the board knows who she is or he is. The superintendent knows who that parent and parent group is. So finding your allies within the educational space is, is, is number one, because when we have you and I and folks around the country and around the world have this conversation, it just makes sense. But then we lose steam because of all the distractions. So finding the allies would be number one. The second part is, what are we going to do about it? And then bring a plan, but have a plan that isn't perfect. Because oftentimes, specifically in education, we're taught that we can't be wrong. Yeah. And we have to do everything we can to improve, whether it's test scores, yeah. interactions, uh, our, our personal and our, our professional performance, if you would, in our evaluations, but we, we're, we're taught not to be wrong. So 
It's to have a plan. And that first step of the plan is not to be perfect, but we know that we have to do something. And we're going to evaluate around the process. Yeah. The third step I, I like to encourage folks to do is to bring somebody else in. Oftentimes we're asked to collaborate and we're asked um, oftentimes to do the things that all of your peers are doing. And, and, and too often we close the door after we have those uh, professional development days and it's just back to business as usual. Bring someone in that's can consistently speak to the hearts and the minds of the administrators, the board and the educators themselves. So that outside voice can be the rally cry and continue the momentum. We would never ask someone uh, to go from first grade to eighth grade without some type of coaching, without some type mm -hmm. of teaching, without some type of mentorship. You would never put uh, someone um, in, in, in a position of, uh, I don't know, dentist, right? We would never yeah. say, right, with, with, without having them go through steps and then have someone that's guiding them. Right. So those would be the first three steps that we that we can take that um, really start at, at the at what I believe it or at the at the micro level. That's so good. You're right. It it is usually a professional development, and then there's no follow up or checking in. I have been blown away. Uh, my husband has no idea I'm saying this, but he works for a, a large company, um, and he works from home. And consistently, I'm talking weekly. They will check in with their employees to see how they are doing mentally. And I've just been blown away because I'm like, this is this is crazy because I don't see this in the education field. And I thought, why are why are more, you know, administrators or school districts not checking in like that with the teachers? Maybe weekly is unrealistic, but just send an email every once in a while. How are you? Or we're here for you or we support you or you matter or. And so I. I've been like, okay, if a large corporation can take the time to do this with their employees every week, I'm just like, it can happen in the education world. And so those points you just gave are so valid and so important. And yeah, I think it's so important. And one thing that I would love to hear your opinion about this too, whenever some teachers think about personal development, they're probably going to equate it to self-care. And you, like me, probably see self-care being thrown around so much. And it's just like, just take care of yourself, you know, just, just take a nap when you need to and or just go get a pedicure. And you're like, no, no, there's like some deeper rooted things that need to be addressed here where it's about mental health and taking care of yourself, not just those things are awesome. Don't get me wrong. Do something for yourself to reward yourself. But Personal development is different than self-care. Would you agree yes. with that? Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's hence the title, the 12 things I wanted to teach you in high school, but couldn't. No one has taught us in a traditional setting. And I went to a beautiful high school here in New York, in Westchester County called Yorktown High School. And I had the privilege of being around tremendous educators in a beautiful neighborhood and had all of the opportunities that you can ask from an academic and athletic space and no one taught me how to deal with anxiety no one taught me how to take care of myself nutritionally no one taught me how to cope with death and fear of death um, and certainly something that all in in the world that we're living in mm -hmm. presently we've all been impacted directly or indirectly by covid 
No one has taught me that. And I had every privilege and opportunity to, to hear it. So your husband's corporation has it figured out and it isn't unrealistic. It's unrealistic to expect the administrator to do it. That's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's unrealistic to expect the lead teacher to do it. It's unrealistic to expect the educators themselves to do it because they weren't taught. So yes, we have to have, we have to have that rally cry that parent. And I believe it really starts there, that outside voice take action that isn't going to be perfect and then bring somebody in that can begin to facilitate these, these conversations because nobody knows how to do it unless mm-hmm. you've been trained and this is the, and, and unless it's really your life's work. Yeah. I don't think it's really going to happen any other way. Right. I just from hearing you talk, I thought back to my second year of teaching And the district I worked in, you had to ask off for a personal day and you got your pay taken away that day. We weren't allowed personal days. It was ridiculous. So a lot of the teachers would use their sick days as personal days. But I was trying to be honest and, you know, with integrity, take off a day to go see my grandmother who was sick in another state. And I got told, no, we're not allowing you to take off. And I went, hold on a minute. (laughs) If I'm willing because it wasn't even like a mental health day, but what if it was? What if it was a day where I'm like, I just need a break today. It is what it is. Uh, And so it irritated me. Finally, like she came up, she was like, well, I'm going to let you. And I was already going to do it anyways, because you don't, you know, it's my day. But I I hear so many teachers who, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. They say, well, I can't take a day off because what if they can't find a substitute teacher? What if that day my kids, you know, they're not listening and it's just, it's such an off day. I'd rather, or I'd rather show up sick than have to take all the time to create lesson plans. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's sometimes about like, we talked about this a little bit earlier about just not being so hard on yourself. And sometimes I think teachers put so much pressure on themselves to be perfect. Like you mentioned earlier that sometimes those days, if you need a mental health day, even if an administrator is telling you no, which was mind-blowing to me but or if you feel like you don't want to take off because your classes are going to be off let them be off that day don't worry about who's going to cover your classes if you need a day off take the day off just don't worry about what's happening the external things and i i I just i think like you said it's just been ingrained in teachers that like you said it hasn't been taught that that's okay to take care of yourself a health, um, a health day, you know, if you're sick, yeah, take the day off. But also mentally, you're allowed a mental health day too. And that's okay. And there's no stigma behind that or feeling like you have to explain yourself to anyone. Just say, I need a day off. And that's okay. So I don't know. Like that, I like you said, it's, it is, I think, this conversation. I love how you said parents coming around too, to, or finding that parent that will be the advocate and, you know, like, be there for the teachers the way they need and this year when i didn't know what to do for my children's teachers they are they were in fifth third in kindergarten i didn't know what to do you know i i just didn't know what to do but i do know that they needed words of encouragement sometimes so i would every once in a while send an email send a message to them or whatever their class app was and i i had one of their teachers that messaged me back one time was like you have no idea how much your words have encouraged me this school year to just keep going on those days that are just so hard. 
So I think that is something simple parents can do is just let your teachers know that you appreciate them because a lot of times they're not hearing that. And unfortunately, they're not. And so people just assume that they know that they're appreciated. But sometimes if they don't hear it, maybe they don't. I want to also ask you about creating educational leaders who are empathetic. What mm. what does that mean exactly? And how can teachers, how can we help teachers do this? So empathy is having the ability to understand someone else's walk. And the first space is understanding your own. Teachers have a story and teachers have a story to tell. And some of it is not uh, perfect as far as how they achieve the space that they walked into. Comparison is one of the greatest forms of empathy that we can, that we can bring into our lives. And having a space where you can interact with your students in, in a space in a space where you're learning about their walk, uh, learning about their parents' walk, beyond a family tree, but learning about what they like to eat, how they like to tra- how they like to travel, or perhaps they've never traveled. What do their parents do? What do their parents enjoy doing? Do they have a family? Do they have family dinners? Do they have family traditions? How? Do you have something in common as a person with the folks that you're teaching? Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is that teachers used to be, and I use that term loosely, an open book and they'd share who they are and where they're from and their stories. And whether it be social media or the lack of encouragement from leadership, they become closed books. And oftentimes students don't even know anything about their teacher other than the first and last name. So uh, that's where it really begins. It begins with self-discovery first and knowing that your, your, your space, as challenging as it may have been, somebody had it harder and reflect upon your journey and then creating safe opportunities to interact with your students in a, in a way where you're learning their walk, learning what the things that they've done and learning that of your colleagues as well. And that has to be done through leadership and it has to be modeled um, because it it isn't common anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I've heard this from teachers, uh, elementary music teachers especially, is the fact that I see so many students, I mentioned this earlier, but it's hard to form relationships with my students or it's hard to get to know my students on a personal level because I see so many of them. So how can I get to know my kids better? Or how can I, I don't have time to share who I am, or I don't have time to do anything in my classroom besides music. I hear all these statements all the time. And so um, do you have any, any thoughts around that or advice to offer to these teachers that are making these comments? For sure. So there's a few things that I love. Uh, the first one are pictures. So mm. I'll tell the story of our family. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have four kids yeah. and I'm married and our kids are super active. So I start with pictures and we have those up, up on the board, up on the whiteboard. And I'll change those pictures throughout the year to really start to tell the story of what we're doing as a family and the things that we're doing and the ways that we're changing and evolving. So you can't communicate all of the things that you would like to do as a person, 
but those pictures can start to become the path for that. Vision boards. The first part of our book is goal setting. So we oftentimes in education will put classroom rules or we'll put classroom expectations. Mm -hmm. Well, what about your personal vision board, the goals that you have? So I encourage folks to display a dozen of those, half a dozen of those, one to create it for yourself and then share it. One, that holds you accountable to it. And two, that lets the people around you know what your interests are. So for me, I know that moving moving into the TEDx stage is going to be part of what's going to happen in 2021. I'm going to run 100 miles. I ran 50 during the pandemic last year. I'm going to complete a 100-mile race this year. Awesome. I know that. Thank you. Yeah. I know that my my kids are playing lacrosse. All three of all our oldest is graduated and our two younger one, it's our two younger boys and that my daughter's going to be playing basketball. So I have, so we set certain goals for them. Then we, then I personally have nutritional goals. I'm going to fast one day a week for the rest of the summer, a 24 hour water fast. So those are things in part that I've put on my vision board as not just goals, but things that I have to see come to fruition, that that will come to fruition. So I share that and you can post that and leave that up. And then that lets them into your world without necessarily having to take the time. And then I love a ticket out the door. And we, and we talk about that oftentimes. And one of my favorites is a three, two, one, three things that you loved about you today. What are three things that you loved? What are two things what are two compliments that someone gave to you? And what's one thing that you could give to someone else before the end of the week? And those, that three, two, one, and the questions that are offered throughout that can change and they can vary. Then have a stack of each one of those for each student. And you can just leave them in a folder and each, and each student puts their three, two, one in that, in that folder. You can give them a buddy and then they can, they could share and discuss it. That could be four minutes or that doesn't even have to necessarily be class time. Yeah. And it could be time where the students just have that opportunity to, to know that it's okay to share that and to put that down on paper, whether they stop by at the end of the day, whether they stop by at the end of the year, or whether you declare that. You might just cut, you may just cut time for them in the morning or after Mm -hmm. school. But the fact that they're even writing it down is going to start to just create those open pathways for you to start to build those bridges. And you had mentioned it once before, and it's a great line. Stop being so hard on yourself. What does it mean to make a connection? Does that mean you have to sit down and have coffee? You and I are connected and we've never met. Right, right. So, so just, it, it, it doesn't have, so let's reframe what that looks like mm-hmm. and we get to create the box as educators of what it means to be connected. But those are three ways that teachers can begin to take steps that just will, will immediately change the atmosphere and the energy in the room because you're open to it. Yes. It's so simple, but it's something I love these simple ideas that are easy to implement 
it's so true though. Like it doesn't take much time to use a space in your room to post a picture of your family, yourself, your interests. And I love the exit ticket idea. That is an amazing idea because what a what a great way to communicate back and forth. You can drop notes to your students too and say, hey, I relate yes. with this point you made, you know, and they're like, oh, yes. that's cool. Find connection points like that. And I, I like I think teachers, especially the music teachers, overwhelm themselves with trying to connect the same way with every student. And it's not going to be the same for every student. Yes. It can be simple ways like that. I know, you know, conversations can be started just from your class, whatever class you have leaving your classroom, seeing your family picture or your diploma or, you know, your goal, your goal setting board <clears throat> posted there. And they'll ask you questions naturally around yes. that. And then they'll say, oh, I also, whatever yes. it is, or my mom or my dad or my aunt or uncle, whatever. Yes. That is how a lot of the conversations will just happen naturally. And I love that you said that. It's so simple, but it's so effective. And this is also, I'm just going to throw this point out there that when I get asked a lot about classroom management, which I hate the term classroom management because yeah. it sounds like you're like a manager and a strict dictator mm -hmm. in your classroom. But to me, it's all about relationships. And I got the worst advice ever, I just did, when I started teaching and they were like, be so strict and rule follow, you know, procedures, 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 which I think a lot of first year teachers are given that advice. And so I did. And my students were listening. They were sitting there scared of me because I was like, follow the rules. But then I remember just like, man, I'm not connecting with these kids. I'm just, mm. yeah, are they're listening because I'm telling them they have to or else. It was when I started letting my guard down, when I started mm -hmm. kind of showing who I was as a person and really being vulnerable mm -hmm. and really kind of mm -hmm. opening up and listening to them. And I also yeah. allowed time in my classroom. I scheduled it in either the first five minutes, the last five minutes, yes. maybe I could see the class was a little off that day. I'm like, let's stop. And we're going to stop everything. Let's just talk. What's going on? Conversations naturally happen that way. And what started happening is there was a shift that happened in my classroom where I was able to start doing more teaching and I didn't have to be this strict, you know, of course I still had procedures and the kids knew my expectations, but it wasn't as, it became more fun and lighthearted for me as well and enjoyable. So relationship building, it's not something that you're just like, like a task list, like do all these things and everything's going to fall in, fall in line. But I love that you said the first step is just being vulnerable, being willing to share with your students. I feel like teachers sometimes are a little afraid to share who they are as a person because they're like, well, then they're going to view me as a friend and not, a, you know, their teacher. And I'm like, but so right. what? Let them have a friendship with you. You don't need to tell right. them everything about your life. Keep some of your personal life personal. Be as open as you want to be open. So those are great, great tips. When we talk about classroom management. Do you feel like this is the same? It's a lot about building relationships with your students. I, I struggle with folks, specifically administrators, that speak to the lack of classroom management. And my return to that is a lack of leadership mm. from the school administrator. Right. When you walk into education, you have a desire at some point to help because you care. Right. And folks that care, it permeates off of you. You know when someone cares, you know it. And if there is a lack of classroom management, it's in part because the educators don't feel safe themselves. Mm. And 
they don't have an opportunity. They aren't given an opportunity to be whom they are because they don't feel safe. That is, is my direction when it comes to classroom management and or the lack Mm -hmm. thereof. The second point is around friendships. And I've heard that as well. Well, they'll view me as a friend and they won't take me seriously. The gift of being an educator is that you're an adult or a young adult and the students that walk into your classroom know you're the adult and they aren't going to lose sight of that. Now, that doesn't mean they're always going to be happy and that you're always going to make them happy, but they aren't going to lose sight of who's in charge because they know where you're from Mm. or they know where you live or they know if you're married. And students and having worked with over 50,000 students at this point in my life, they want to please the people they know. They want to please the people that they know care. Mm -hmm. And that can come across a number of different ways. And we can talk about that. That is never going to change. So fall back to that and allow who you are to to shine through and you'll never be taken for less than who you are and what you have to offer you aren't going to walk into a classroom or any educational space and ask me to teach you how to ride a horse right i don't know how to do that i don't know how to ride horses i can ride a horse i can jump on i've done it but i can't teach you how to do it yeah. i don't really other than just put my foot in and yeah. roll my leg over just and sit there hold on <laughs> here, right like i don't know any of those things it's not what i do it's not my right. it's not my thing yeah so i don't at any point expect a, te- a, a student to say mr anderson can you teach me how to ride a horse no mm-hmm. <laughs> no i can't it's not what i do mm-hmm. if you're the math teacher in our case the music teacher Fortunately, hopefully a lot of those kids are in there because they want to learn music. Yeah. You have something that they don't. And for the folks and the, and the students that are forced to take a, a music for whether it's chorus or what have you, and mm-hmm. perhaps some of those students might not want to be there. That's okay. That's okay. It really is. We just have a response we have a responsibility to make sure that the students that are around the handful that don't want to be there feel supported and loved and the students that don't want to be there they also feel supported and loved and the only way that we can do that is by letting them know more than our last name there were students that i thought i did not reach who verbally said to me i hate music class they were, you know, I'm thinking of a particular boy who is a college athlete now who <laughs> he goes to the university right down the road from me. And I went, wait a minute. I saw his name. And so we showed up to this football um, 
I don't know what they call it, like the, the before the season starts, you know, like the meet the fans thing. Can't remember what they call it, fan day or something. Anyways, and I was kind of looking for him. Oh, he's not going to remember me. This has been like 12 years. And so I walked up to him and his face, his eyes were like, oh, Miss Presta. And I went, oh my gosh, what the heck? And he was like, oh my gosh. He's like, you have no idea how much impact you made on me. He starts opening up and like, mm. I'm crying and I'm sitting there like, I thought you hated my class, you know, and so it was just like, it got me thinking how many of those students who use the words, I hate your class or, yeah. or I don't want to be here. I don't want to be at school. Sometimes there's some stuff going on and I'm not saying with this particular child, but there's some stuff yeah. going on behind the scenes has nothing to do with you or the subject you teach, but also you don't know how many times you're planting a seed and you can't even see it when they leave. He was a fifth grader. I only taught him one year. And so I didn't see him in middle school, high school, you know, but you don't know that seed you're planting that maybe will stick with him. And maybe it wasn't music per se that stuck with him. But I remember I never gave off on this kid. Like he was so tough. And I was like, nope, I would kind of like be sarcastic with him. And I was like, you're going to do this, whether you want to or not. I kind of look at him and he's like, Ugh, you know, it's that relationships that we've been talking about. And so that seed that you're planting, teachers listening, you don't know when it's going to bloom, but it will. And you will one day have a student you run into eventually, you know, years down the road. And you don't know the impact you made on their life. So don't give up on those kids who you think you just think they're not paying attention and it looks that way, but I promise they're paying more attention and you're making more of an impact than you probably even think. And you working with seniors, I mean, my gosh, like you probably, well, especially mm -hmm. over Zoom this year, did you see mm -hmm. that a lot? Kids who are like, oh, I don't care. I'm just done. And senioritis, as you know, we call it. Do you, did you see that a lot? And then you have kids that will reach out to you one day, like, Mr. Anderson, you have no idea. Like, <laughs> It's just the best. It's just the best when that happens. Have you seen that a lot with I, your seniors? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. So we have, so Matthias is in third. Uh, Bear is a freshman. My daughter is in seventh. Caden and Bear is a freshman. Uh, Peyton, uh, he's a freshman. And Javon is graduated from school. So Kelly and I are running the gamut. And we're, we're living all of these phases in real time. And I'm wildly aware of the impact that the elementary school teachers are having. And I had the opportunity to work in elementary school for a few years, primarily, I was but I was primarily in a middle school setting. And spending the mass majority of my time in training with high school in college aid students and mm -hmm. certainly speaking to, mm -hmm. to high school students, that senior group, I see, we see it all. We're living it and, and are doing it. The elementary school students, as we as humans crave connection and um, we had mentioned the word matter and mm -hmm. the, the you matter movement is, is not just a phrase, but it is the most important aspect of our lives and our and and how we view ourselves in elementary school the piece that matters is just saying a student's name and there have been studies well documented that you know 500,000 students in an elementary school setting the number one thing that drives kids to school is to know that they matter and to know that they're relevant 
And as you move through the high school ranks can be as low as 40% kids can go through their day and not even hear their name mentioned throughout the day. Wow. Hence the separation of feeling relevant and important. Right. So knowing that we are taking the time to give kids a voice and to know that they're relevant and then to take a, the time at some point, either to put a, a comment on that three, two, one, as we just described, mm-hmm. is validating them. And specifically to your question, the seniors, the seniors walk away with the impression of school. And I don't know who said it, but it isn't what they've learned, but it's the folks that gave them that feeling. It, mm. the, they are remembering the people that made them feel good. Those are the educators that matter. And th- that's why they feel as though they matter. So this, so when I have had the opportunity to speak to seniors and the school districts that have brought me in, they're already so much farther in front than the folks that aren't giving to those seniors because instantly that is now they're relevant. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them will say their name, will talk to them individually and will validate them as people. And then that brings them back to that connection to that one, maybe two teachers that they felt connected to when they were in elementary school that made them feel relevant and made them feel that they matter throughout the course of their school year. So it really does start at the foundational level and, the, and really the neuroscience behind it is tremendous that just putting folks and seniors together allows them to be relevant, allows them to, allows them to matter in, in, in that moment. And that, that alone is, is, is the greatest gift that I have found uh, in, in ushering seniors into the world and the thoughts of senioritis and the thoughts of not wanting to go to school. Uh, they really vanish. They, yeah. they do. They really vanish um, because they feel as though they're relevant and that they matter in those moments. We've talked about so much today. Do you have any other advice for our listeners before we go today, Robert? I would, I would pour into you. And the greatest gift that we have is that gift that's inside us that no one else can see. And your gift is the thing that you do best that requires the least amount of effort. And for so many of us, we've stepped into a space of education and a space of music, and we're giving that gift of music. And over the course of time, it may change. And you may find that you love writing as much as you love music or you love travel as much as you love music. Please don't push away that voice that you're hearing, that drive, that shift, what's calling you. Please don't push that down because you've spent the last 10 or 15 years as a music teacher and not allow your gifts 
to make room for what's next. And if I can impart anything, please open that door to your heart and to your window. Uh, connect with someone that's doing that thing that you feel that's in your heart, whether it's v- via YouTube, sending a DM, watching their videos, and just taking one small step on a, on a daily basis to pour into that other part of yourself. So when you show up into the classroom as that music teacher, you feel a sense of fulfillment and and of gratitude for what you're giving because you're allowing voice for everything that you're becoming. It's so good because when I even decided to start this podcast, who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to talk about important issues? Who am I to, you know, there's so many other music educators out there. Why would I start a podcast? But I just couldn't get away from this pool to do it. Same with writing my book. I, I, you've probably heard this phrase too, but I heard someone say one time, and I cannot remember who said it now, but if you can let me know, but if you don't see the book you want out there in the world, just write one. Like, it's just that easy. Sure. Let me just, you know, let me just write it. And I had a conversation. Her name is Dr. Sarah Goulish and she, my ebook is on her um, site at Flat Books. And so she, and I had a conversation and I said, I have felt this calling to write this book for years and I just haven't. She's like, well, why? I'm like, well, because like, what would I, why would I say stuff if people are already, you know, they're probably thinking the same thing. It would just be words on a page where they're the same things that they're already thinking. And she's like, Jessica, you, you have your unique voice, your unique opinion, your unique perspective, your experiences, put it on the pages. I was like, well, I mean, okay, well, let me just start writing and see what happens. And same thing. When I got my music education degree back in the dinosaur ages, I never in a million years thought I would write a book. It wasn't on my radar. People ask me all the time, did you know you'd be an entrepreneur? No, I don't have a business degree. I had no idea. You know, like this is just like you said, though, following your heart, following your calling. And I think what stops and you can you can probably relate to this, too, in in one way or another. But what stops a lot of teachers is the fact that but I only have a teaching degree. Who am I to do this, mm-hmm. this, 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 mm-hmm. but you're you. So that's like if there are a lot of books, there's not a book written by you yet. If there are a lot of podcasts, there's not a podcast by you yet. There's not a blog by you yet or whatever. Insert the thing. And so I encourage, like you said, that is so good because if you're doing something for yourself, then when you get in the classroom, like you said, you're so proud of that other work you're doing too. It doesn't take away from your teaching. It's okay to do both. It's okay to do both without being overwhelmed. It'll bring you joy. Um, Even if it's not a paid thing, just something that you enjoy doing, like volunteering or whatever. Um, Like I play piano at my church. It's something I do. I don't get paid for it. I just volunteer because I love it. And so um, I love that you said that. Thank you for bringing that. And so speaking of books, your story behind behind writing your book, it was probably, was that on your heart for a while, like you said, during COVID? But I know the stirring had probably been there before that. And um, I want you to talk about that where everybody can find you online and really talk about where they can find your book. Cause I, I know is teachers just need it. <laughs> it's so good. I'm going to buy it myself too, cause I'm so excited to read it. So just tell everybody where they can find you online and where they can get your book and all those things. The inspiration came from a deep desire uh, to give beyond myself. And I knew that I was going to write a book and this is the first of three uh, that I know that will be written um, in the yellow book series. Awesome. Um, the 12 things that they wanted to teach you in high school, but couldn't because I know that 
the people that we have the ability to lead in the classroom that we see out in the world, um, we're someone's students at some point. And I keep that so close to my heart. Uh, the racist that we run into mm-hmm. was someone's student. Um, the uh, person that um, stopped to help uh, someone in need was someone's student at some point. The people that commit crimes and atrocities beyond comprehension were someone's student. Um, School shootings, those kids walking into the building are someone's student. And until we pour into our teachers, our educators, and give them the tools to develop themselves, we can't possibly expect them to develop the personalities and the hearts and the spirits of all of their students. Uh, So 12 Things is written and available on Amazon. Uh, 12 Things I Want to Teach You in High School but Couldn't. And everyone, I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn, Robert Anderson, JR, and certainly Instagram, Twitter, and uh, TikTok, all of the socials, along with (laughs) Facebook, I am on. So I love to hear from you. I love for you to check out uh, every morning I send. I have morning videos that I post that speak personally uh, to the folks that are in my ecosystem and in our ecosystem as a team. And I share those via Facebook and via IG and uh, LinkedIn as well. So folks can check those out and be on the lookout for uh, Win by Design. Uh, winbydesign.co uh, is our platform. That's our firm that our team is having the privilege of being able to connect with school administrators and folks that have a deep desire to shift the educators and bring a voice uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion within their schools and in their school districts and to build upon the, edu- build upon the teachers themselves on a personal level. Uh, So I'd love to connect with you there as well at winbydesign.co. Awesome. I will link to everything you just mentioned in the show notes as well. And I know you will have some educators reaching out to you. So be on the lookout for that. Robert, this episode was such an encouragement to me. And I know if it was to me, everyone listening in today is getting so much value from this and just encouragement and support. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it so very much. Jess, thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.